some things are happening. It's like things are amping up, if you will, to the crucifixion. Things are escalating. Jesus' ministry has really begun to draw some attention. And people are, many people are believing in him, and others are hating him. They think that he's a fake, and he's dangerous, and that he needs to be taken out. All right? Now, in this time, the context is the Romans have conquered Israel and are in charge of everything. Okay? And so one of the concerns is that if people, if the Romans hear this idea that Jesus is a king, they're going to say, well, there's no king but Caesar, and they're going to create a lot of problems for the Jews. Okay? Another thing is that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And so that's blasphemy. Okay? Another thing is that it's taking away the recognition and even the authority away from the religious leaders. So this Jesus is a danger on so many different fronts. He's a risk that must be wiped away. And in chapter 19 of Luke, we're going to read about Palm Sunday, or in the Bible it's called the triumphal entry. Okay? And Jesus is preparing things, leading to his crucifixion. He's preparing his disciples that he will soon be leaving them. He will soon suffer at the hands of evil men, the Bible says. And so he's preparing them. Now, mind you, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay? Lazarus had been dead for four days. All right? And here's this Jesus. Some of the religious leaders were there, and Jesus went to Bethany. Can we have a map up? Do we have a map? Jesus um, was traveling from um, Jericho to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm just going to keep going while they're setting that up. Um, Let's read in uh, verse 28. Let's start there. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, mind you, going up to Jerusalem... Okay, we've got, uh, this is Lazarus' house there, okay? (laughs) And there's there's Jesus calling Lazarus out of the grave. Uh, But here's the Dead Sea, okay? And Jerusalem's over here, Bethany's over here at this area, okay? Um, Now, let's continue to read. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives... He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. Now, a colt is young, okay? 
as you would know, which no one has ever ridden. Now here's another thing that we could just glance over. And if we don't take this into consideration, we can miss some things. All right, so we have a young donkey that has never been ridden. Now, some of you people that were raised on farms or are familiar with uh, horses and donkeys and things like that, when you attempt to ride a horse that has never been ridden, some crazy things can happen. Okay? So in many cases, when someone is buying a horse, the, they will seek after a horse that's been trained and is you know, at least middle-aged and uh, has had many years to get out those wild oats, if you will, okay? Because they'll buck you off and they, they, t- they haven't been trained. This is the kind of colt that Jesus is riding, Okay? So, everyone that sees that colt that has never been ridden would expect that colt to do what? To be bucking and hard to control. And Jesus would be having to, you know, just whip that thing into shape. And, but that's not what happens. Jesus rides that thing into Jerusalem peacefully. And so he's demonstrating even his authority and control over this animal that should be out of control. Do you understand? Now, you may remember back on the Sea of Galilee when he had sent his disciples on to the other side, he was going to meet them later. Or actually, um, he was in the boat, excuse me. He was in the boat with them. They were traveling uh, across the water, and Jesus Jesus fell asleep in the boat. Do you remember that? Okay? And the storm came up, and and the disciples were fearing for their lives, and and one of them runs to Jesus and says, he had fallen asleep. He said, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're going to die? And, and, you know, of course, Jesus, oh, you of little faith, you know? And so what does he do? Well, he gets up. And can you just picture, I mean, he walked to the bow of the boat and said, Peace, be still. And he speaks to the waves in the storm. And what happens? It just calms down. And what was their response to Jesus' actions? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? All right? So this is the same sort of situation Jesus is controlling this young colt who should be out of control, and here he is riding on this thing up through Jerusalem. Okay? So let's keep these things in mind. Let's keep reading. Um, Those who were sent ahead... um, Okay, so let's go to verse 30. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You tell him, the Lord needs it. In some versions, the Lord has need of it. Those who were sent ahead, I wouldn't mind, you know, pulling up to a Mercedes or something and start uh, untying that from the hitching post and... Somebody comes up to me and says, what are you doing? Why are you untying that Mercedes? Well, the Lord has need of it. You should know this. (laughs) The Lord needs this Mercedes. Give it up. Okay. Back to action here. Those who were set ahead went and found it just as he had told them. 
As they were untying the colt, sure enough, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. That's why. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Now, it was common in those days that kings and those in authority would have other people would throw their clothes and, and, and their uh, jackets and things and, and, and coats on top of donkeys or whatever it was that they were riding. In many cases, they didn't ride donkeys. They rode what? A horse. There's a big, big difference in here why Jesus chose a colt, a donkey, as opposed to a great steed. Now, in those days and before that, it was well known that a king would show himself as strong and mighty and a warring king, a battling king, if he came in on a horse. All right? And he's showing his purpose. He's showing off his might. And he's letting everybody know, make no mistake, I'm the boss. You will bow to me. And all of our enemies will bow to me. The message of a horse. Well, Jesus didn't ride in on a horse. Though he was a king. He chose a donkey, and there's a purpose for that. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now this is a sign of homage, of praise, of adoration to this, this king, Jesus, that's riding on this donkey. This as well is a practice that is done before kings. As the kings would come, people would throw their cloaks on the ground so that, or it's like, kind of like the red carpet treatment, okay? So the um, holiness, if you will, of this king's feet wouldn't even touch the dirty ground, all right? And so in this case, they're giving glory to Jesus, this king, this new king that is coming, and so they're paying him homage and showing him respect and, 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 and honor as they throw their, coat, or their coats and, and, and this donkey would walk on the coats as opposed to the ground. You see the intention here. When he came near the place, verse 37, where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, for all the miracles they had seen. Now, we're not just talking in this case about the 12 disciples. We're talking about all of those people who had heard of and seen the miracles Jesus had performed, specifically the resurrection of Lazarus himself that had just taken place a short time prior to this occasion. Okay? And so, Lazarus was probably in this crowd of people. And these people that were there and saw Lazarus raised from the dead, see this man praising this new king. Can you imagine? This guy was dead for four days. 
You don't be in a grave for four days without some decomposition happening. But Jesus, showing his power even over the grave, even over death itself, calls Lazarus, come forth out of the grave. And Lazarus comes out, and he's still bound up in all of the grave cloths. And he lives. Lazarus lives after being dead for four days. After all of his family and friends have mourned for his death and were still mourning, Lazarus now is living and is among the throng of people that are singing praises and shouting Hosanna to the king, King Jesus. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now listen to what they say. This version says, hold on a second. In in, uh, Luke it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know what they were doing? They were quoting Scripture. They were quoting Scripture. As a matter of fact, let's turn there. Let's turn to Psalm 118, verse 25. Are you with me this morning? Psalm 118. Verses 25 and 26. In the other versions it says, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says that in John. And look at verse 25. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. They're quoting Scripture as they shout these praises to Jesus, this king who's riding on a lowly donkey. Hmm. Interesting. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. How can you let them be saying such things? You know you're not worthy of these things. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. So these these religious leaders are telling Jesus, Jesus, silence your disciples. Don't let them be praising you like that. That's blasphemous. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, If they don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. The rocks will praise me. Hmm. Wow. This seemingly meaningless donkey, this colt of a donkey that's never been ridden, that should be unruly and untamed, is being ridden by a king. This donkey is a sign 
of peace. This kingdom that Jesus is unveiling to people is not a kingdom of war. It is not a kingdom of battle, in a sense, or conquering. It is a kingdom in people's hearts. Jesus wants to rule in our hearts. Okay? As other kings would want to rule over you, rule in your lives, tell you what you can and can't do, tell you you must pay taxes, must do all these things, Jesus comes and he says, I want to rule in your heart. I want to rule in your heart. And it's the same with our tithing. When we tithe, we're showing God, Lord, you rule in my heart, even my funds, even the things that you have allowed me to have financially, I give a portion of that. The first portion, I give it to you because you rule in my heart. I give you a portion of my time. I come to church and to learn of you. You rule in my heart, oh God. I teach my family and my children your ways because you rule in my heart, oh God. Do you understand? A different kingdom, a different king, a king who promotes peace, a king that promotes love, a king that promotes the heavenly father. And so there is a a hugely different message that these people are seeing, that Jesus is unveiling to people because all of these people have seen the way the Romans rule with an iron fist. And they ride with their steeds and all of the armor that goes on the men who ride them and on the horses themselves and the clanking of the armor. And here is this Jesus that is coming slowly on this colt, peacefully. Do you see what a difference that would have spoken to people? If we're not careful, we can just read the story and not know the intention behind it. If we don't know the context of things, we can miss out on the messages that are being sent. Jesus is saying, I have not come to rule you with an iron fist. I've come to love you. I've come to show you peace. I want you to live in peace. I want you to be at peace with the Father. I want you to know that I love you. I want to rule in your hearts. This is my kingdom. And when, when Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you a king? <laughs> are you a king? And Jesus said, well, it is as you say. Or did, did you hear that? Did you think of that? Or did somebody else tell you that? You know? Jesus says, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is in the hearts of men, of people. Do you understand? It's different. It's different Praise the Lord. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, even you, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. Now listen to that. 
as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he did what? He wept over it. He wept over this city. Why would he weep over the city? This special city, the most special city in all of Israel, Jerusalem. Why would he weep over this city? Because people are blinded. They don't understand who he is. They refuse to believe that he is the Messiah. They refuse to believe that he is the Son of God. And so Jesus is weeping over it. Do you remember the other time that Jesus wept? The only other time. When he heard that his friend Lazarus was dead. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Do you remember that? Two times Jesus wept. One when he knew that his friend had died. And that Lazarus' sisters would be heartbroken. Jesus was close with them. He knew the family. He had stayed with them. He wept because he knew their, their pain. And now he's weeping over Jerusalem. If you, he says, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. He's saying that I have come to bring you peace, but you reject it. You don't want me as your king. You want somebody that is bold and authoritative and is going to take over and revolt against Rome. We don't want to be ruled by Rome. We want a king that's going to conquer Rome and get us out of this place. Get them out of here. That's what he's saying. And they rejecting him because of that. The days will come upon you, verse 30, 43, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. So he's, in a sense, prophesying, forecasting that you will be overcome. You will be conquered. And that very thing happened in A.D. 70. Titus, wipe the place out. Look it up. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. What does that remind you of? When he went to the temple. When he went to the temple. Destroy this temple and I can rebuild it in three days. Remember? And they thought that he was talking about the temple temple, right? But he was talking about himself. Okay. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not, now listen to this, recognize the time of God's coming to you. Okay? God is sending Jesus to these people to bring them peace, to bring them back to God himself. And they are rejecting it and refusing it. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Verses 22 through 25. 
Chapter 45, verses 22 through 25. Turn to me, it says, and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Now listen. Before me, and you may be familiar with this, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult. If I silence these people that are following me, even the rocks will cry out. If you remember, after Jesus was crucified, in that evening, the sky was darkened and the earth shook and the rocks split and the temple veil was torn in two. The rocks cried out that day when Jesus was crucified. The whole earth shook, which is made of rock. And the rocks, it says, split. They recognized the true Son of God, the Messiah. You know, many Jews to this very day still reject Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. Friends, this is why it is so vital for us to stand with Israel. They need Jesus just like everybody else. They are the chosen people of God, yes, but they still need Jesus. And many of them, because of their lineage, because they are Jews, this in itself blinds them because they think that through the law, which is given to them through Moses, is their salvation. They don't recognize any need for salvation other than the law. Friends, Israel needs us to stand with them, to support them, to pray. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Israel is the apple of God's eye, and yet his people do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God. It's vitally important that we do all we can. Many of us from here, a dozen of us or so, went to the night to honor Israel. What an amazing evening that was. Wow, it was powerful. Powerful. Jews there, seeing that Christians are standing together with them and and supporting them and showing love to them. It brings tears to their eyes. When I was in Israel, and whenever I would get the opportunity, I would tell them, um, they would ask, you know, why are you here? What are you doing? How long are you staying? Blah, blah, blah. And who are you with? And so I would tell them, Christians United for Israel, Kufi we call it. 
And we're here to make a statement, to show you people, to show the Jews and to show all of Israel that there are Christians around the world that love you and stand with you and support you when all the world seems to be against you. You have friends. You have people that love you for who you are. And it would bring literally tears to their eyes. It was unbelievable. They didn't understand it. Why would people do that for us? Showing the love of Christ even even to the Jew. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hosanna, these people that were shouting these phrases, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the King, Hosanna. Do you know what that means? It means save us, save us now. It is a proclamation, it's a cry to the King, save us, save us. But they didn't recognize or understand or want to accept the fact that Jesus was not coming to overthrow the Romans. Jesus was coming to bring peace. Peace between God and men. I hope that as we've walked through this study today, that it helps you to understand It helps you to recognize some of the other messages that are being brought forth, that are being shown through this Scripture that Jesus wanted people to understand. Even as Jesus was coming, as the Bible said, up from Jericho. Remember last couple weeks ago, we learned that uh, about the Good Samaritan. Do you remember that? And uh, Jesus... Uh, the Good Samaritan was walking on the road to Jericho from Jerusalem. Now remember, we had talked about the level, the elevation of these two cities. Okay, Jerusalem is higher up, but Jericho, way down. It's the lowest city on earth. It's a few miles north of the Dead Sea, and it's about 14 miles, give or take, um, east of Jerusalem, and it keeps going down and down and down and down and down. So Jesus, even his, his traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem shows a sign of his what? His ascension. As he's coming to the cross, and later on it will show that Jesus actually does ascend, and he also is risen from the dead, okay? So it, it, is, it is also showing the ascension bringing things to completion. He's rising up from Jericho, the lowest place, to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me today? Next week. This week is the biggest week in the Christian calendar. The biggest week. So much happens that we're celebrating all this week. Good Friday, where are we going to be? Oak Orchard Assembly of God, a huge Good Friday service. Do not miss it. All of the pastors are going to be involved. We're going to have great 
praise and worship. We're going to have an awesome service, communion. It's going to be amazing. Okay? Please do not miss it. Good Friday. So then uh, in the week, we have the crosswalk right here in Medina. And then Sunday morning, what's happening? Breakfast. What time? 9 a.m. And then after breakfast, we're going to come in here. We're going to have a special, special Easter morning service. Resurrection morning service. Do you got that? You don't want to miss that. We got special things planned for you. You're going to want to be here. Trust me. All right? There's something special about worshiping and praising the Lord on Sunday morning, resurrection morning. A lot can happen in three days, my friends. You understand what I'm saying? A lot can happen in three days from the grave. He rose again. (laughs) Let's pray together today. Let's pray together. Lord, what a joyous occasion, Heavenly Father. My heart, our hearts rejoice as we're coming to Easter sunrise, resurrection morning, Lord Jesus, where you sealed our salvation. And you proved once and for all that you are Lord even over death and over sin. Nothing can separate us from you, O God. Nothing. Not even our sin. Lord, help us, Heavenly Father, to remember to invite people to come, O God. How many of our friends and family members and neighbors need to hear the word of God? Lord Jesus, put on our hearts. Let us not forget to invite people to come on Sunday morning and Friday night, Lord. May they be, may their eyes be opened. May their ears be opened to the truth, O oh God. May their eyes see who you truly are. And may they see your love for us and the sacrifice that you made. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Don't forget to invite people to come. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you Friday.